Well, thank you for that great introduction, Pastor Josh. Pastor Josh came back and he, he sat down and I sat down and he said, what are you doing sitting down? It's your turn to get up there. So here I am. Well, good morning, church. How many of you are excited to be in God's house today? Amen. Wow. Today is a special day at Church on the Rock because today we are having a consecration service. Some churches want to call this an installation service. I can't install anything. I am not good with tools. I have 10 of these, and what I install just doesn't work. So we're going to have a consecration service. We're going to pray over Pastor Josh and Amy and the leadership today because I believe God's best is yet to come at Church on the Rock. Amen. And, and here's, here's one of the reasons why I believe that. I am on your weekly email distribution list. And every time I receive one of those, one of the first things that just catches my eye is the announcement about the Tuesday evening prayer meeting. I believe the Tuesday night prayer meeting is the most important meeting of the week. Okay, we have two people who said yes. Let, let, let me try it again. I, I'm going to go over to this side. I believe that the prayer meeting is the most important part of the week. Come on. Amen. Prayer is what fuels the church. Prayer is what moves the church. And I believe that prayer is so important to the church. And so this morning, Pastor Josh, as I was reflecting and asking God for a message that would bring encouragement and hope, I felt the Lord lead me to the topic of prayer. And so this morning, I want to encourage this church. I want to encourage each and every individual this morning with a word on the power of prayer. And I'm going to give you three facts about the power of a prayer. Now, I don't know if this is a note-taking church or not, but if you're not, if you don't take notes, take notes this morning. Take out your app or your pad and paper, whatever. Not because what I have to say is so important, but because I believe somewhere down the road, God is going to bring this back to your memory, and you're going to want to say, what was it that was said about that? Three important facts about prayer and the first one is this prayer builds a hedge of protection let me say it again prayer builds a hedge of protection this past monday evening ann and i were at our one of our daughter's house our daughter becky our daughter becky as has a husband, three boys, and a girl, and it is always a noisy, active house. It's an all-boy house. There are always balls bouncing off the walls, balls bouncing off the floor, kids jumping out from behind the couch, wrestling going on. It's one of those crazy houses, and on top of that, it's the gathering house for all the kids in the neighborhood. So there's always a ton of kids doing all kinds of stuff in that house, and they have a dog. They have a Wheaton Terrier, and the Wheaton Terrier is as crazy as all the kids in the house. 
I'm, I'm not sure if it's genetics or if it's the environment, but this dog is just as hyper as can be. And when this dog was younger, he had the habit of getting up on the kitchen counter and eating whatever was in sight. My, my son-in-law one day grilled a whole bunch of chicken. And he brought it in the house and he put it on the counter and went out front to get everybody because everybody was outside shooting hoops. And my, you know, my, my son-in-law is as distracted as all the other kids. He went out there, started shooting hoops, so it was about 20, 25 minutes before they came back in to eat. And when they came back in to eat, guess what? The dog had eaten all of the chicken. Well, they, they have an electric, you know, one of those invisible fences for the dog outside. And my daughter found that they sell them for the inside. So she put up an invisible fence around the kitchen. Took care of that problem. Well, that was about five years ago. Ann and I were there Monday night, and uh, Ann and this dog have a thing, Pastor. I mean, they just she just walks in and the dog goes berserk, you know. And so Ann walks into the kitchen and grabs a little piece of cheese and begins to say to Toby, Toby, come on, Toby, come on, Toby. And Toby would go as far as where that invisible fence used to be. She's got it down. It doesn't work anymore. He doesn't even wear the collar. But he would go only as far as that line, and he would sit there and stare at her. And it was as if there was this invisible wall that the dog knew he could not go through. I'm here to tell you this morning that when we begin to pray, we pray that kind of a hedge of protection around whatever it is we are praying about. We can pray a hedge of protection around our family, around our kids, around our finances, around our health, around our church. It's putting up this invisible fence that we can't see, but every time the adversary comes to it, he stops dead because he knows there's a hedge of protection here and I cannot go through it. I don't want you to take my word for it, so we're going to go to the Word of God, and we're, we're going to open up in the Old Testament book of Job. So find the book of Job, Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, if you've gone to the book of Psalms, you've gone too far. Find the book of Psalms, that's an easy one for everybody, and hang a left. And you're going to be right there in the book of Job. Job chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading, well, I'm not going to read the first four verses. I'll just summarize them. But look at verse 1. It says, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Catch this phrase. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And the next three verses tell us all about Job. They tell us, number one, that he was a very wealthy man. He had all kinds of herds of donkeys and camels, and it lists all of his wealth. It tells us that he had a great family. He had seven sons and three daughters. And it tells us that his sons and daughters were accustomed to getting together for times of feast. 
and they would have fun together. This is, this is not a, hey, everybody come over to my house and get drunk kind of a party, but this is a Thanksgiving Day kind of affair where everybody comes over to the house and eats and they have a feast, and his family did this on a regular basis. And then verse number four says, or number five tells us that after these feasts, Job would invite his children over to his house and he would begin to pray over them just in case something had gone wrong. Job would gather his family together and he would begin to pray over his family and over his children and he would put this hedge of protection around them. Now verse 6 switches the scene. We now go from earth to heaven. We go from Job, this is who he is. He is a man who is blameless. Doesn't mean he was without sin. It just means that he lived an everyday life trying to please God. He is blameless. He prays. He prays this hedge of protection around his family. And now the scene changes to a heavenly scene. Here's what's happening in heaven. Verse 6 says that the Lord gathers all of his angels together and Satan is invited to the meeting. Verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? The Lord takes a look at Satan and he says, what's up? Where you been? What have you been up to? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Did you notice what Satan says? He says, I have been roaming through the earth. How many of you remember what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8? Peter says that our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He doesn't say he is a roaring lion. He says he is like a roaring lion who is roaming around to see who he can devour. Well, that, that goes all the way back. That wasn't a new discovery for Peter. That goes all the way back. God says to him, where have you been? And he said, well, I've been roaming around looking for who I can devour. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God says, you, you've been looking around to see who you can destroy. Have you ever seen my, my servant Job? He's a man who is blameless. He's a great man. Have you ever seen him? Look how Satan responds in verse number 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, Job, Job fears you only because of what you do for him. It's the only reason why he is blameless and upright before you. But then Satan responds with this. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Satan says, I, I've seen them. I would have tried to go after him. 
Because I believe the only reason why he serves you is because of what you do for him. But beside that, every time I go, I notice that there is a hedge of protection around him. What I note in this dialogue, it's not God who says, Satan, guess what? I've put a hedge of protection around him. No, it's Satan saying, every time I go, I'm like Toby the dog. There is this wall, this invisible fence that I cannot get through, will not get through, because there is a hedge of protection around him. I'm here to encourage you this morning, church, to begin to pray, and when we pray, we pray that hedge of protection around our family and around our kids and I say oh God put your hedge of protection around them spiritually and emotionally and mentally and physically God put your hedge of protection around my children God put your hedge of protection around our church around our pastor around our leaders God may there be this hedge of protection around them oh God I need your hedge of protection around my finances around my job around everything that I do. God, I need your hedge of protection upon my health, upon my mind, upon my marriage. God, I am calling down this hedge of protection and I'm asking you to uncover it and to put me in it so that the enemy will not penetrate. Come on, church. We need to pray for a hedge of protection. <laughs> Hallelujah. We need, we need to pray for this hedge of protection around our family, around our minds, around our health, around everything. Prayer is saying, oh God, I need this hedge of protection around my family. You say, well, I can't, I can't see it. No, we might not see it, but I'm here to tell you the enemy knows it's there. The enemy knows it's there. Hallelujah. I know somebody in the room is going to say, well, that, you know, that all sounds good and that all sounds encouraging. But there are times when things happen to me and I've prayed about it. Well, yeah, there are times when that hedge is breached. But listen, the hedge is never breached without God being aware of it. The hedge is never breached without God being aware of it. Watch what happens here in, in the dialogue. Satan says towards the end of verse 9 and verse 10, You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. God says, I'm, I'm going to allow this hedge of protection to be breached because I know the character of this man, Job. I know his faithfulness. Do you realize God will never let you be tested beyond what you can bear? Thank you for that one amen in the room. The rest of you need to include that one in your notes. God will never allow you to be tested beyond what you can bear. And God says to Job, okay, you, you want to try this out? You go right ahead. 
try it out. And by the end of chapter 1, Job has lost everything. He has lost all of his wealth. He has lost his 10 children, seven sons and three daughters. He has lost all of his servants. He has lost all of his wealth. And he is left with a handful of friends that aren't worth a nickel. And that's the rest of the book of Job. It's the conversation between Job and his friends. And I don't have time to get into that, but that whole conversation is as relevant today as it was back then because it all focuses on the theme of how can a just and right God allow evil to happen like this? Man, that's a relevant conversation for today. I'm going to let your pastor clean that one up sometime. <laughs> I, I, I just don't have the time to get into that today. But what I do have time to do is to look at Job's response. If you turn all the way to the last chapter, chapter number 42. Chapter 42, I love verse number 5. Job is speaking to the Lord, and in verse number 5 of chapter 42, Job says this, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job said, all through my life my ears had heard of you. I had heard of your faithfulness. I had heard of your presence. We sang songs this morning about the presence of God in the heart of the Father. Job said, all my life I had heard of these things. I had heard of your faithfulness. But now, through this journey that I have been travailing, I now see you. My eyes have now seen you. My eyes have now seen your hand in the middle of this. Here's how I wrote it down in my notes. Prayer assures us of God's presence. Not only will prayer build a hedge of protection, but number two, prayer assures us of God's presence. When you cannot see your way and you cannot trust understanding or reason any longer the one thing you can trust is the presence of a God who will never leave you nor forsake you a God who will be forever by your side a God who is forever able to take you through no matter what it is that you are going through when you can't reason it out and understand it out you can trust that God's presence is going to be with you and that's what prayer does prayer assures us of God's presence let me let me just park here for a moment because I I think especially in light of a lot of the stuff that goes on we we need we need some some understanding here theologians use all kinds of words to describe God they use words like he is omnipresent which means he is all over he is all-knowing, omniscient. He is omnibenevolent. He is all-loving. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. All words that theologians use to describe God. One of the ones that 
I oftentimes just try to grab hold of is the, the word omniscient, that God is all-knowing. And I struggle with that sometimes because of the things that we go through. I go, God, if you are omniscient, if you are all-knowing, then help me understand what it is that we are going through. Why don't you fix this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you move in this way? Have anybody, has anybody in this room other than me ever prayed one of those kinds of prayers? You know, God, why don't you just do this and take care of it? And I've come to this conclusion that the fact that God is omniscient, that he is all-knowing, means that he is a needs provider. Amen? But he's also a needs assessor. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes the way I see things and sometimes the way I want God to, to act is not necessarily in accordance with God's plan because God is omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning. I'm still trying to figure it out. And if I were in charge, I would do this. But God says, listen, I am the need provider, and I also am the need assessor. Let me show this to you. I want you to see this. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses... 7 through 9, 2 Corinthians, I'm getting there, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. This is Paul. Paul says, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. So Paul is saying, God is blessing my life. God is giving me insight. God is giving me gifts, words of wisdom, and I'm seeing things, and God is using me in great ways. And Paul then says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited in these things, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Scholars do not agree on what that was. It could have been a physical ailment. It's, it's just, uh, it, they just don't know what it is. But definitely it is a thorn in his flesh. It's a pain in his side. And Paul is saying, man, I wish I could get rid of this. Now look at the next verse. Verse 8. Paul says, three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul says, I, I prayed three times. God, you got to do something about this. God, you got to take this pain away. God, you got to take this agony away. God, I am tired of this. You need to take this away. Three times, he says, I prayed to the, with the, to the Lord to take it away from me, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, I asked God three times to take it away. I said, God, I have never been in so much pain. And God said to him, Paul, you have never prayed as much as you're praying now. And Paul said, God, I have never been in as much agony as I am now. And God said, and Paul, you've never been as anointed as you are now. You may think 
there is pain and you may think there is agony but I'm here to tell you that it's causing you to come into my throne room in prayer and it's causing you to be more anointing than you have ever been before and so Paul I want you to know this my grace is sufficient for whatever it is that you are going through you see church when we begin to pray not only do we build that hedge of protection but when that hedge is breached we can be confident of God's presence with us in the middle of whatever it is we are going through I love what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Yes, he is the need provider, but he is also the need assessor. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, let that one sink into your heart. Jesus is the same yes today as he was yesterday and will be forever. That means he was a healer. He is a healer. He will be a healer. It means he was a deliverer. He is a deliverer. He will be a deliverer. It means he was a provider. He is a provider. He will be a provider. It means that he was a way maker. He is a way maker. He will be a way maker. He is a God who will never fail us because he is the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. He is a great and mighty God. And when you don't understand what you're going through, I'm here to tell you his presence will take you through it. Oh, somebody say amen in the house. Hallelujah. Why? Why do we pray? We pray because of that hedge of protection. We pray because of God's presence with us. I, I love contemporary Christian music. And uh, there's a singer-songwriter by the name of Jason Gray who has a song out that is called Remind Me You're Here. Remind Me You're Here. Jason Gray was attending the funeral of his eight-year-old nephew. And he testifies that he sat there in the middle of this trying to make sense of what was going on. And in the middle of it, God began to speak to him. And he began to write these words. Let me read verse 1 to you in the chorus. Verse 1 says, None of my pain has ever caught you by surprise. Still, it's hard to trust you when I'm lost in the wondering why. But I'll trade every question just to lay down and rest in your heart. And I'll reach for your heart, though you led me here into the dark. Here's what he wrote for the chorus. And I won't ask you for reasons, because a reason can't wipe away any tears. No, I don't need all the answers. Just be here beside me. Father, remind me you're here. Here. Just need to know that you're here. Yeah. I just need to know, Father, that you are here. In the middle of whatever it is that you're going through, prayer assures us of God's presence. 
There are over 80 scriptures in the Bible that remind us that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the middle of it all, God is there. Number three, third fact about prayer. And I close with this one. Prayer not only creates a hedge of protection, and it not only assures us of God's presence, but number three, prayer provides for turnarounds. I'll say that again. Prayer provides for turnarounds. If you're still in the book of Job, chapter number 42, I want you to see this. God has this conversation with Job and asks him to begin to start praying in verse number 10 of Job 42. says, after Job had prayed for his friends, listen to this, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Job began to pray and God suddenly brought a turnaround. To Job's situation. It's, it's almost that suddenly, that instantly, there it was. There is now this turnaround in Job's life. Look, go down a couple verses to verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. And if you go back to Job chapter 1, you will note that in every one of those instances, he had half of what is mentioned here. God blessed the latter part of his life with more. Verse 13 says, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. Look at verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years. Prayer brings that turnaround. One of my favorite prayer stories in the New Testament is found in John chapter 11. You know the story. Jesus' friend Lazarus has died. And Lazarus has now been buried for four days. It's interesting that he's buried for four days because the Pharisees did not believe in resurrection, but they did not believe that a person was dead until the fourth day. They believed that even on day three, the spirit could revitalize and they could come back to life. So I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't show up until the fourth day. It's the fourth day. There, there, there's no talking about this. This guy is dead. This guy is dead. As a matter of fact, when they get to the cemetery and Jesus says, roll the stone away, Martha says, no, 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 don't do that because he stinks. It's going to smell. The body is decaying. It's the fourth day and he is dead as a doornail. But Jesus, I love John 11, it says Jesus begins to weep. I believe Jesus senses what you and I are going through. When that hedge of protection is breached, he is there with his presence for us. 
And when we go through it with that pain and hurt, Jesus is right there by our side. And he turns to Martha and he says, roll that stone away. And then I love, Jesus says, I'm now going to pray. And he prays a very simple prayer. Father, I thank you that you hear me. Notice there was no big King James language. Oh, in the name of the Almighty, the blessed and most high, I come and prostrate myself and humble myself to call. No, Jesus just keeps it simple. He says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. How many of you know he hears you? He hears the cry of your heart. He hears you in the nighttime. He hears you in the morning. He hears you when you're just barely speaking it over your breath. It doesn't have to be some big, long, elaborate prayer. It can be as simple as, Jesus, I thank you that you hear me. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you hear me, and I thank you for what you're now going to do. And he calls them out, Lazarus, come out. And you, you know the story. In an instant, out comes this guy all wrapped up. I would have loved to have been there. I, I, you know, I don't think he came walking out. I think he probably came out like this because he was all bound up. He said, that, that's all, that's all I can do. He came out and Jesus said, lose him. I'm here to tell you this morning that I believe God wants to say, lose him to some of your situations and some of your circumstances. He is saying it's time for your turnaround. It's time for that bondage to be broken. It's time for those shackles to be removed. It's time for you to be set free. It's time for you to have a brand new beginning. What I did back then, I'm still doing today. And I will do it forever because that is who I am. I'm a God who answers prayer. I'm a God who will build that wall. I'm a God who will be with you in the breach. I'm a God who will be your strength. I'm a God who will never leave you nor forsake you. And today is your day to turn it around. Turn it around, turn it around. A new beginning, a fresh start in your marriage. A fresh start for your children. A fresh start in your finances. I believe Jesus is speaking. Today's a day of turnaround in your health. It's a day of turnaround in your circumstance. It's a day of a brand new beginning. God is saying, I want to do something new. And I believe God is speaking to church on the rock today and saying that as I have called Pastor Josh and Amy to this place, I have equipped them for leadership. I have equipped them with everything that they need. And I'm asking you, congregation, to pray that hedge of protection around them, to pray that hedge of protection around them and their family and their children that the enemy will have no way. But when there is that breach, your prayers will be so strong that God is going to show up in the middle of it. I'm believing it's a turnaround for Church on the Rock. I've been with you a long time, all the way back to the very beginning. I welcomed Pastor Brian when he first came to Illinois. I believe it's time for a turnaround. I believe it's time. God wants to do something new, something different. 
It's time for a turnaround. It's time for that fresh start.